Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 286 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 16th. 2013 got a big show for you this week on the podcast dan weber coming up a little bit later on talking about what he saw out there in the coliseum from the press box and we got coach harvey hyde here in the first segment of course usc bouncing back and defeating boston college 35 to 7 is the topic of the day if you have any questions or comments for us you can drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com or give us a call 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail there or go to peristylepodcast.com. That's our webpage. You can leave us a voicemail right on the site. And welcome in Coach Harvey Hyde. What's going on, Coach? How you doing? Ryan, uh, nothing much, buddy. Just uh, a busy weekend. Uh, FC got a W. And uh, I was uh, happy with the way they performed as far as play calling, uh, their presence on the field. Plus, Ryan, what I like so much, not that I don't love football, but the entire game took three hours. Three hours, including halftime. Now, that is what you call a fast football game today when you consider all the commercial times. Certainly. That that was a quick game. We were out of there. I kind of like the, the day thing going on. I mean, we were out of the press box. I got to get home and actually do some stuff on a, on a Saturday night, watch the fight. It was, it was nice. You know, a lot of times when you get home, you get home so late, there's really not much you can do. So, yeah, it was a, I like the fact that it was quick like that. Well, this next week uh, against Utah State, 12.30 kickoff. So, again, for uh, all of our Trojan fans out there, it's not bad. Get over to the Coliseum tailgate, and then you have still a lot of thing uh, or a lot of time in the afternoon. All right, uh, I wanted to thank our sponsor. Before we go any for, uh, further, Southern California Tickets, you go to sctickets.com or call them at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for upcoming USC games, of course, this weekend. Uh, you want to go to a sporting event, you want to see the Dodgers, something like that, go to sctickets.com and, and they'll help you out. And, uh, Coach, you mentioned the, uh, the fact that it was only a three-hour game. And if you look at the total number of plays, Boston College only ran 50 uh, USC ran 62. Now, it was a, a, a certainly an effective day on offense for USC, 521 yards. They averaged 8.4 yards per play. But that, that number of plays still is something that's kind of bothered me a little bit. Is that, is, should I be concerned about that? I mean, do you want to see more plays out of this team, or were you happy that how it was distributed? Well, you know, that, that's about the same number totally that Cal ran this year or this week. Uh, it's amazing. Teams are running 80, 90, almost 100 plays. 53 plays Cal ran in the first half. So uh, does it disturb me? No. I think you had two types of teams playing that played with the huddle, broke the line, audibleized, uh, didn't try to speed up things, got, you know, stayed in control of the game. Maybe, uh, yeah, I have to agree. I, I wish they had. Uh, more plays as far as uh, opportunities to have positive yards. But when you consider they had a 14-play, 87-yard drive, had uh, you know had no turnovers, 
uh, almost played what I said a grade A game when you consider the series, the type of things I've been talking about as far as keep it simple, don't confuse yourself. My athletes are better than your athletes, so let them play. Uh, the offense, the defense, the kicking game, you know, all uh, played a role in the victory. And I think that was important as far as confidence of the team and the coaches and to the fans that are out there who were so critical, as I was a part of, of this discussion on that if they continued to get better at what they demonstrated against uh, uh, Boston College, they can be a pretty good football team. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I like the balance, uh, 264 yards passing, 257 yards rushing, hard to split it up much more even than that. And uh, the big news uh, really being how the quarterbacks played, Cody Kessler getting the start, it seemed like he was a lot more comfortable. I think the people that have never seen him throw a football down the field because they haven't been to practice or, or seen him in high school or workouts, well, we've been seeing him do this all the time. They start the game off with a, with a bomb that was incomplete, but everyone still cheered. Uh, to me, it just it, it showed. I mean, it, I guess the disturbing thing would be how could the offense look so bad the last couple of weeks? But I think it was reassuring to know. Hey, I saw these guys. I know they could play. We saw them on Saturday. Now I think everyone, all the USC fans, can see that these guys can actually play. People were worried that Cody Kessler and Max Wittick just weren't good quarterbacks. No, they're good quarterbacks, and when you keep it simple, and they understand what the game plan is, and the game plan was simple. Basically, they stayed in the same formation the entire game, game as far as an eye or strong wheat set, set out of the eye. They play action pass because the running game was going so well. They had a counter off of their power back to the weak side. They kept people at home. Uh, that is what football is all about. As far as I'd like to see them now get their full back into the running game a little bit more. They showed great play action passes down the field, full boots and half boots, throwing the ball. Also, they threw to their uh, fullbacks in the flat. They ran their uh, tight end to the flat. They had uh, an out route. They didn't. They weren't afraid to throw deep. And of course, then when you keep them uh, the con the corners of the opponent conscious, you're going to go deep. They played off on Lee. They were afraid he'd go deep. He ran a simple out route. The guy took the wrong wrong angle to make the tackle, and Lee goes all the way for a touchdown. So uh, the entire approach to the game plan was something that 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 had rhythm to it and had sense to it. In fact, if I graded the game plan, it'd be an A. Now, I think somebody might have cheated on the game or <laughs> cheated on the test in a way because I'm not sure how that team and a philosophy of Coach Lane Kiffin, and this team was coached, not that they haven't been coached in the past, but how in one week or four days of practice, how – this team could go from what it was doing to not running one bubble screen whatsoever and running the ball down the field, taking positive yards, play-action passing because it came off of the run, which was having so much success. Uh, and you've got to give that credit to however it happened. I think that Coach Kiffin, and I'm going to call him Coach Kiffin because he coached this team. He's the head football coach. A lot of people call him Lane and Kiff and Kiffin and all this stuff. But he, he deserves the title Coach Kiffin because this group was coached up against Boston College. Now, is Boston College the best football team USC is going to play? Hardly. Hardly. But it was a team that they had a chance to 
work on game plans, gain some self-confidence, and get ready for Utah State. Uh, Luke wrote in a question. He said, after that great play called by Max Nikias, who is the president of the university, uh, maybe he should be our next coach. <laughs> what do you think? That's uh, from Luke. And if you don't know, what he's referring to is in the, in the press conference, Lane Kiffin, kind of joke, but it didn't sound really like a joke at the time. He said that that first play that everyone cheered with the incomplete pass was came from the president, that Max Nikias said, if you just throw the ball deep, they'll cheer no matter what. And if you know, however true that is, I mean, that was true, that happened, USC threw the ball deep and everybody cheered. Well, you know, it's because of the week before, and um, I think it's good to have the crowd form their opinion and say they like what's going on. You know, there's so many – the public really can't express its feelings, Ryan. I mean, I can, you can, media people can, but fans in the stand express their opinions from how they feel of what they see, and, and they like it or don't like it. So when they see that happening, that's a way of explaining – uh, to the team, they're not necessarily taunting the team or booing the team. They're saying, hey, great, and they almost hit the first play for a touchdown. So I think that was a positive thing. It, it also took the edge a little bit, I think, off the players and off the coaches when you got the cheer back into the Coliseum right away. All right. Um, well, the, on the defensive side of the ball, certainly the team looked good. The, the starting defense has not given up. A touchdown all year. Uh, we saw the the backup guys come in and they gave up one uh, long touchdown run there. But what did, what did you see from the way this defense is going? Well, the defense is playing great football. Uh, they are aggressive. Uh, they're playing physical. Uh, they're playing and having fun. Uh, and they're they're proud of what they're doing out there. Now they're playing with, and and they're getting some time to rest. When you have a fourteen play drive. Uh, for 87 yards, your defense now gets fresh again and come in and continue, can come back in the game and continue to play hard. If you don't rest the defense, they can't continue to play hard the entire game like that. And there's going to be times, especially with these teams, with these hurry-up offenses, where this defense has got to get some rest. I thought that the corner play is much better than I anticipated. I think the corners, I think Josh Shaw now a corner, is a great move, and he's played really well, and what a hit he put on that one guy. I call it a smash hit. I think uh, Harris has played well. The second day, Craven made some great plays this week. Right played strong. Linebacker play has been great. Defensive front, what can you say? Kennard, Breslin, and the group played aggressively. I just think you've got to be careful as far as not getting uh, – Late penalties as far as hitting the quarterback late. One was a questionable call, I felt, on Breslin. Kennard deserved the one that he got. The holding penalties on the offensive line, not a good thing, not a good thing to rely on. It's okay if you're playing aggressively but can't get away with those things in a big hold like that could cost you a football game. So 10 penalties, 100 yards, got to get a little bit better on that. Yeah, the 10 penalties, 100 yards, I think, was one of the other uh, concerning aspects of this game. Uh, I, I think it co- obviously it cost USC seven points with the blocked uh, punt there. Uh, that was seven direct points. But I think several other drives, it put USC in a hole when they were moving the ball well. And, and you know, Kessler was you know very efficient. He was uh, 15 of 17. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was missing a lot of passes. But the drives that didn't work, it seemed to be 
they got set back by penalties. They were in second and 20 type of situations. And, and of course, you extended some drives on defense. Now, it didn't really hurt like the starting defense because they, they gave up some first downs because of penalties. Um, you know, maybe some field position there. But certainly on offense, I think there's some other drives that could have resulted in scores had there not been the, the penalties on the offensive line. Well, they were so much better than Boston College defensively as far as athletic-wise. The game plan, as I mentioned before the game, and I don't know if people listened to it, I said that they got to take the runaway from uh, Boston College. Was Boston College can't throw the football down the field. The only reason uh, their quarterback, uh, Riddick, has been good is because they've had an established running game and they play action pass. But when they forced him to pass the football, obviously uh, that took their game away from them and they took their runaway. In fact, Williams... I forget he had 48 or 50-some yards in rushing. And last week he had 200 yards in rushing. <laughs> so, you know, when you, when you play that type of football and you take away what someone does well, and that is what they win with, then obviously you're going to isolate and hurt uh, their confidence and, and their game planning on how they plan on attacking you. Uh, we have a question from uh, Tarion. He said, I've read several sources who indicate that the first couple of years after the scholarship recruitment sanctions are to be the toughest on the roster. Do you guys feel this way, And regardless of the fact that we're going to be under 85 scholarship level and we can only recruit to 25 recruits uh, per year? Well, you know, you always want to be at your full number, 85, but there's a lot of teams that don't have the full level. Not, uh, not because of just sanctions, just because their numbers are down or players have left and they haven't refilled – uh, their numbers that had an opportunity to fill their numbers. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's always great to have depth. It's always great to have great players in depth. But I think the Trojans still have great players. I think the players can still play. It's important this year to have a great recruiting year and have players that can play immediately. You know, uh, so far, uh, USC has been blessed. They just had one injury yesterday. Uh, Darius, uh, Darius Rogers, I hope he's going to be okay Anthony Brown is is uh, is nursing uh, whatever an ankle or whatever it might be. Earlier they've lost Stevie Mitchell and uh, George Farmer, but since the season has started, they haven't. I don't think lost anyone uh, for the entire year. So if they continue to play play hard, and you know you don't get hurt when you're playing hard, you get hurt when you're standing around and watching. If you continue to play hard and you don't have the energy injuries then uh, that depth problem won't hurt as much. But, uh, you know, they haven't got into playing the teams that run these quick offenses too, fast, 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 and then you have to play sometimes your backup players. And when you pay, play your backup players and they're not the same quality or close to the same quality as your starters, it can make a difference. But it's not a reason why you can't play. So uh, I think the Trojans, because they're able to attract such great players, people have been talking about the sanctions, but – you can't talk about that stuff. Those are things you can't change. They're going to be able to bring in 20 kids this next year. You've got to go out, you've got to play with what you have, and you've got to play hard. One last thing before we let you go, Coach. Um, we didn't have nearly as many questions, not even, in, not even the, <laughs> in the same ballpark as last week, obviously, because of the loss, and I think people are a little more, uh, obviously they're happier, so they're a little more content. They don't really need to uh, write in as much and, and figure out what's going on with the program. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on special teams because I was in the press box with Dan Weber, and uh, you know it's, the punting 
is interesting. I think some, you know, some of them were effective. Uh, you know, he averaged 44 yards a punt and had a long of 55. Two of them went inside the 20. That's uh, Chris Alborado. Uh, but it's a different style now. And I asked John Baxter about this before, and he said they're not trying to boom punts. They're trying to to get them to roll. And uh, I, but you know, between the punting, there was no field goals in the game. I think the the kickoffs were decent. Uh, there was a couple of touchbacks. Um, seemed like USC maybe had some problems uh, receiving punts. You know, trying to they put Marquise Lee on that that punt block thing. They he wasn't back there receiving punts. Darius Rogers ended up got hurt, got hurt. He wasn't back there. But what did you think overall of what was going on with the uh, uh, with special teams yesterday? Well, special teams I thought were were okay. I mean, uh, they could they had a block punt if they didn't have a penalty, which really. Uh, was a discouraging thing right then because everybody was excited. It would have changed the momentum. It would have been 21-zip. Didn't happen. That's that's a mistake. Uh, I think that uh, putting Marquise Lee down and rushing from the right side, I think is, uh, please, I'm saying, here's your uh, the best receiver in the country. What are you doing? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're not going to have him return punts, why are you putting him up there? I mean, I know you forced him, to, or maybe they were going to do it anyway, roll to the right and punt the football. But what if what if for some reason you broke a punt and somebody came back and just nailed him? Or what if he had to make a tag, do something? Uh, I wouldn't risk uh, my Heisman Trophy candidate, Bletnikoff winner, whatever, in, in rushing the punter. I think you should save his energy for other things. Now, I know Coach Baxter is going to say great players want to get on the field every time they get on the field, which is true. But you've got to be able to say, wait a minute, there's times that you just don't put guys in those positions. But they did. He goes hard. I'm saying I just wouldn't have done that. That yeah, makes sense. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm just, I've just been kind of mixed on the special teams. I mean, talking to John Baxter, I get what he's saying about the punting, but it just some of it just doesn't look pretty. And uh, I, I do think that USC could do a better job of stepping up and, and catching some of those punts. I mean, some of the other reasons, you know, you might have left some points on the table. They, they had a, a long field on a few of those drives. Now, Cody Kessler did engineer a 90, I think it was a 94-yard drive. Um, but do you want to see those guys? Is it too risky, Coach, to step up and try to catch those punts that are kind of low and bouncing? And or Is it better just to let them go? Is that safer? I, what do you think is from a coaching perspective? No, no, you have rules. You have rules of, you know, anything of a uh, past uh, what well, my rule was 10-yard line, you got to catch the ball or let it roll into the end zone. But you've got to be able to use your head and make sure you don't have a turnover. I used to put a hands guy back there sometimes. Well, I didn't care if we had a return or not. I just didn't want a turnover. I wanted somebody to go back there and just fair catch it and catch football. So it wouldn't roll one way or the other. Now, uh, uh, the way people are punting the football, they're rolling, and one reason they're kicking it like that, too, against USC, they don't want any returns. Yeah. So they're, they're kicking it where you have to, you know, uh, let it roll, or you're not going to be able to set up your blocking, and it's a different problem for you to work against. But to roll, let the ball roll and do that, yeah, well, you got to be careful running up there and misjudging the kick or if the ball's, ball's rolling and, yeah, you it, and you miss it, and it touches you, and they recover it. So uh, I know what you're saying, Ryan, but I think uh, that you've got to be careful on those type of punts so you don't make a mistake. That makes sense, Coach. All right, well, thanks again, and we wanted to let people know you can follow Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. He's tweeting now, 
retweeting some of our stuff. Are you getting uh, you getting used to this Twitter stuff, Coach? I'm getting I'm getting used to everything. It's really a lot of fun, especially when I hear from people and I tweet back to you about uh, during the game, Brian. I don't know if you get these from me. I hope you're getting them at the end of every quarter. I give you a quick uh, tweet on uh, what I think and what's going to happen, and and uh, I enjoy doing that. It's sort of a summary from my own mind too of what did I see this quarter and uh, what's going to have to happen the next quarter. Yeah, great stuff. All right, well, I keep following you on Twitter. I love the tweets, and uh, everyone else, check out Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter as well. Coach, thanks again for coming on the show and uh, sharing all your insights. USC's on to Utah State next. And thank you very much, and we'll have a lot to talk about, because I think Utah State is going to be the best team they've played so far. They're big, they're physical, they're mature, they have a lot of kids that have been on missions, They've got, uh, I would think, a Heisman Trophy candidate, a quarterback. He can run. He can pass. A tremendous athlete. They had a great winning season last year, and they're off to a great start this year. So, Ryan, college football can't get any better. Certainly cannot. All right, Coach, thanks very much. And uh, everyone else back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Fight on, Trojan fans. We're all very excited about this season. My name is Louis Tangay, and I'm the managing director of Circle Marketing. Like USC, Circle Marketing has a long track record of success. Ours hasn't been on the football field, though. We have been very successful in helping the small businesses of America get the kind of marketing strategy and support previously only affordable by large companies. For example, by going to circlemarketing.com, you can view our portfolio, read our case studies, and see how we were able to increase business by 90%, grow social media followings by 10 times what it was when we started, and how our websites and marketing strategies have helped our small businesses reach and exceed all of their marketing goals time and time again. So come visit circlemarketing.com today, read our case studies and testimonials, and see what we've done for other small businesses like yours. Then contact us and find out what we can do to help your small business too. Circle Marketing, the company that fights on for your small business. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Got to sit next to him in the press box. We have pretty good seats, Dan, right there at the 50-yard line and a pretty good game to watch. A lot a lot different than what we saw the week before against Washington State. Yeah, I mean, that was basically the uh, the game we've been waiting for since, uh, you know, spring game. The game we actually saw the first two scrimmages of August, and then it went away very, very far away. Well, we're talking about the offensive part of it. The defense is kind of pretty much uh, built on uh, – you know, from one week to the next, but uh have no idea. And, you know, when you ask, ask Lane, he's not absolutely sure what he thinks, or he's not going to tell us what he thinks where that offensive game went and that game plan and that play calling. I know <laughs> people probably have their own ideas as to, as to what happened to it, but it came back. Not all the way, you know, not all the way back, but but in a completely in the direction it needs to go, in terms of uh, trusting your quarterback to make plays, letting him make plays with his, you know, with his head, with his arm, with his feet. Uh, eight different receivers, you know, catching the ball, in you know different places all over, you know, finally getting a, even if it was a quick out, to uh, to Marquise, but getting a long ball. Uh, so uh, we're pretty sure they could run the ball. Still not sure why there are the breakdowns that uh, that make it more difficult for them to just you know move the ball down the field, you know 
you know, with three downs, the first down, three downs, the first down, that they're still probably more bad plays than you'd like to see. But uh, moving in the right direction, as it has to be, the uh, most difficult thing about Saturday is how badly everybody looks and says, uh, gosh, could anybody to get that Washington State game back? <laughs> and unfortunately, there isn't. But, uh, you know, I mean, if, if somebody wants to look at the bright side, I guess you can look at, was it Florida in 2008 lost a home game to a really bad Ole Miss team and went on and still won the national championship. I know, that's the the, uh, SEC and all the other things, but there are examples of teams, uh, you know, Alabama lost at home last year and still ended up as the best team in the country. They're not, not using that as an example of USC to be the best team in the country. But teams can, you know, overcome uh, bad home losses and still uh, still have a pretty good year. They just have to get better every week. They can't have any flashbacks. Uh, so that's what this week's uh, all about with Utah State coming in here. Yeah, and I, I think if you look at 2011, that's a team that did seem to get better every week. 2012, certainly not. Um, it didn't look very promising for 2013, but, you know, I think, they turned things around, and it, it looks a lot better. This at least was a team, Dan, that we saw in the offseason. Like, we saw if, – if we would have seen this kind of effort, even in a loss against, you know, say Washington State, like Washington State played really well, it, it just didn't look like what we were seeing before. So I think people – and I think we took some criticism too. Like, oh, what are you talking about? These guys can't throw the football and blah, blah, blah. Well, this is what we've been seeing. Like, we saw – you know, they haven't been able to throw the ball down the field, been able to run the football, you know, been able to play good defense. The defense has been consistent. But we kind of saw this on offense, and then it was, I guess it's frustrating for the fans, but it was frustrating for us too to know, well, this is what we told everyone you were going to see, and you didn't see it. At least at this game, this is what we told people you were going to see, and, and fans got to get a glimpse of it. Yeah, I mean, this is the hardest part about, as we said, in, you know, before the season, you could kind of, you know, look at, uh, you know, various ways you could look at this USC team and say, you know, I think they're going to have enough depth unless they get really, really uh, ridiculously unlucky at a position. Or, you know, I think the offensive line is going to come around. Uh, you know, they're going to make mistakes, but eventually this, they have to be good enough. They're going to, you know, uh, they're going to get there. We thought the secondary had enough athletes and the way they were being coached they were going to get there. We were sure the quarterbacks were good enough. We're going to get there. And, and we, you know, we picked, you know, the QBR picked Cody Kessler. You know, we picked Cody Kessler. I think it was almost five weeks now saying it's time. Pick Cody Kessler. Uh, so on all of those things, I think we were kind of on the money. Where, we, where <laughs> you aren't, you know, where you can't control what's going on is the fifth variable was what's Lane going to do. And we didn't know. And <laughs> I don't know that we still know, but it's pretty much in the hands of, you know, Lane. And uh, this week, he was a, this was a confident, comfortable Lane Kiffin. This was the Lane Kiffin of the second half of the 2011 season. When he went into Notre Dame, that was a confident coach. That was a confident coach that went into Oregon. Now, it helped. He had the best, you know, offensive tackle in the last 10 years in college football and maybe the best blocking back Six five, two hundred and fifty pound Red Ellison that that anybody's ever seen in college football, uh, and he figured it out. And by that time, he realized, what are they going to do? You know, they can't stop us. Uh, took a while. I mean, that was the year of the you know that 
ugly, ugly 1917 uh, Minnesota game. Holy carmody. That was uh, somebody said to us uh, before the Boston College game said, that team was way worse than, uh, than Washington State. That was your, uh, you know, 2011. You had one of those games. They were just lucky enough to beat a, a you know, a terrible Minnesota team. So, uh, you know, we'll see where this goes. But, but a confident, comfortable Lane Kiffin on the sidelines changes everything. Certainly does, Dan. Well, we got some questions about the the game, so we're going to play a couple of voicemail ones. We got some uh, email questions as well. Here's the uh, first one for you. Hello, Ryan. My name is Rob. I'm calling from Santa Clara, California. I wanted to ask you or Dan two questions. Number one, have you ever heard anyone ask Lane Kiffin why? he doesn't make any halftime adjustments for the second half of football games? And if so, what was his answer? Number two, I really think that he has to learn from the BC game and, and how much success he had using a vertical passing game. It puts his players in such a better position to put the defense on its heels, and he puts himself as the offensive coordinator and play caller in a better position too. And I feel that if he goes back to that same tired horizontal passing game, then he really hasn't learned anything, and we can't afford to have him anymore as our head coach or even offensive coordinator or even a play caller at the University of Southern California. I feel he has to learn from this. And if he doesn't, uh, I think he's unteachable or he can't learn anything. But I'd like to learn... Or I'd like to learn what your thoughts are. Thank you very much. Thanks for. Oops, sorry, I cut him yeah, off there. Yeah, you know, very well said. Um, uh, that uh, you know that, and 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 we've been wrong before. Uh, you know, in terms of saying, okay, there's the lesson. It, it's just obvious uh, what has to happen, what has to be done. Uh, now, you know, clearly, uh, you know, we're on the right track. Well, that. That isn't always the case. Uh, did, did, did ask Lane uh, in a little kind of off-the-record session uh, uh, that very question about basically saying, you know, if it's hard to talk to us, uh, you know, because of your play-calling duties, if it's hard, you know, and you're, the fact that you're concentrating on the next play and it's hard to follow, like in the scrimmages, for example, and say, and, and you really can't give us an evaluation of what happened after a scrimmage because, you, as you, you would tell us, that, uh, that you, you really got to see the film because you're, you're not watching that close. You're really working on your next play when they're running the play you just called. And so you're not in a position to do a great job in, in an analysis. And I did ask the question, what happens at halftime if you've just gone through a first half that you really haven't, absolutely seen did not get an answer to that question and uh i think it's a it's a crucial question i mean it's one of the reasons i think i've recommended that that lane not not do the play calling i will say this saturday that was a different looking play caller in terms of you didn't see the uh kind of uh you know almost panicked searching the play sheet for the exact right call it was a much more comfortable looking, um, you know, watching the game more. We saw Lane's eyes more. We saw him not just 
you know, fixated on that, uh, on that play sheet. We saw him more engaged, I thought, with the players and with the game. I think that's a good thing. Now, the problem was Lane's explanation is that you can't get too engaged, you can't get too emotional because then your ability to call plays, you know, you know drops off as you get more involved and emotional with the game. I'm not sure I, I agree with that. That's Lane's, you know, self-analysis. But uh, it's a really good question. Now, you have to admit, they came out and scored a touchdown in the third quarter. So uh, that's a start. Haven't done that in a long, long time. November 10th of 2012. <laughs> I don't even want to think back to that. <laughs> that was the last time. Five games in a row without a uh, third quarter touchdown. But uh, certainly changed that around. The offense looked better. Um, here's another one, Dan. Here's a question for you about uh, team morale. Here you go. Yeah, this is the Trojan fan at the top of the grapevine. Listen, yeah, um, I was really happy with the game to open it up and to see a lot more things happening, a lot more people involved, and I can definitely tell you from coaching, um, I was able to win because I involved all the players. I took it upon myself to have the the uh, everyone on that team played. Every one of my teams played. They all played in every game. And if the morale of the team goes through the roof, I've noticed that UCLA has already thrown the ball to 15 different receivers in two games. I'm hoping our coach uh, will continue to trust his players. After all, he recruited them. And I'm, I'm hoping that he'll see the wisdom in playing everybody, playing as many people as possible, because the morale of the team goes through the roof. I wanted to see what Coach Hyde. Oh, sorry. Cut him off there. It was Coach Hyde, but. We're, we're talking to you, Dan, not Coach Hyde, sorry. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I do think they're moving in the right direction there. They played 63 guys uh, Saturday. Uh, we saw Jordan Simmons, for example, get some, um, you know, more quality time at offensive guard. I mean, it's one of the downsides of being uh, so much a, uh, a pro style where there are, uh, you know, the number of adjustments and the number of things you really have to know at the line of scrimmage. And, uh I think that, you know, to some extent that can inhibit, you know, a guy like, say, Jordan Simmons misses 10 days, you know, in, in practice in August, and that can really throw him behind. And that just can really, you know, put, it, put you in a place where, okay, we can't quite, we just can't, he's, you know, physically, he ought to be ready. Uh, you know, he's just not, you know, we're afraid there'll be a mistake or whatever. I think that's one of the flaws in the the approach to the, the pro-style offense. I mean, look at the difference in the defense. Quentin Powell and Michael Hutchings, linebackers, uh, who got here, you know, weren't here in the spring, got here in the summer. And, uh, you know, I mean, Michael Powell is, you know, Quentin Powell, excuse me, looks like he's been here three years. I mean, he's so comfortable out there, uh, you know, doing what he's doing. Uh, I think he had three tackles Saturday. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, uh, I think that's got to be the model of, you know, the more, you know, simplifying it for yourself, making it as complex as possible for your opponent to deal with. I mean, I think it's the, uh, you know, the direction, and I know Lane would, would have liked to have been able to simplify just things like the terminology and the play calling, and, and they haven't, haven't been able to do that. I think that's, that's really, you know, really crucial. If you want to go this direction, you have to, you have to make it simple, and, and basic enough for, for these guys to be able to pick up. You know, if, you, if you're getting players at, at the level of talent that USC is getting, you really want them on the field in that second year. And uh, you want them to be able to, you know, that, that Chad Wheeler is a good example. You know, it wasn't that easy a start. Uh, 
you know, for him. And then still there are some adjustments to make, but man, he's got a lot of talent. He, he has to be playing. And, uh, what you'd like to do is probably have a system where it's not going to require him to be a a 10 year NFL veteran in terms of uh, the adjustments he's got to make, uh, you know, play to play. All right. Uh, Let's go to Ryan. He said, nice name, Ryan. Um, He says, wow, Trey Madden and Justin Davis look absolutely on point with their running ability, their vision, their cutting ability, their acceleration, their overall drive, determination and fight while running the ball is amazing to watch. Even Buck Allen looked great in the game. With that in mind, I was wondering, what is the injury update with Silas Red? How long will he be out? And does he come back? What will happen with Justin Davis's touches? And how about Madden and Davis' touches greatly reduced? Would that be po- uh, overall positive or negative for the USC running attack? Thanks for the podcast, and fight on. That's from Ryan. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's a really good question. Uh, you know, Silas wasn't in uh, in uniform Saturday, so you know one would think that's just at least another, you know, add another week. So we thought the earliest he could come back would be this week. But you're right. Where does he come back to? Uh, you know, where is, you know, I mean, he's he's serving a role right now. He's kind of a almost like a grand assistant. He's such a role model for these guys and such a mentor. For, for the younger guys, you hate you hate to you know take that away from him. I mean, he's just they you know they kind of worship the ground he walks on. I mean, he really has has done. He's been a big you know he and, you know along with you know obviously with Tommy Robinson has done a great job as, as it's obvious with these young guys. So uh, you know, but I think that's almost unanswerable uh, right now as to where where that ends up. I, I you know I don't even. I don't even think I've got a guess, and I think one of the reasons we probably can't, because we really don't know what the timing is and how far how far down the road, you know, this is going to go and all that. So, you know, while it's interesting to think about, it might not be all that terribly productive to, to be spending a lot of time on it just because, you know, I just I don't think we know enough to know, you know, where that, you know, where we're going to try to get the answer because we just don't know what the timing is there. But, uh you would hate to take any – I mean, right now, you would think the one thing you want to do on the running backs is see how you can get more touches for uh, Buck Allen, Yeah. get the ball in his hands more. I mean, he uh, – again, <laughs> there's somebody who we said, this is the Buck Allen we're seeing in practice. And I know people didn't, didn't completely believe us, and I'm hoping they believe us now. That, <laughs> that's who that, that kid is. He can do an awful lot of things. I did tell him the other day, I said – Buck, you're going to have to take it in from 50 because I don't think that you're going to be a red zone scorer on this team. <laughs> uh, somebody else is going to, going to get the ball down there. But uh, he laughed. But uh, and he might. You know, we might see him. Uh, you know, take one all the way. I, I do think that's the next thing we got to see. I think we, the, the longest run this year has been a 39 yarder with Justin Saturday. Uh, and, and you would like to see uh, USC running backs get back to that place where, where they can take. Uh, you know, take it. You know, and and break a big one, and then that adds even another you know dimension to to the attack. But Justin Davis is remarkable, 17 years old, and to, he runs like an NFL veteran in terms of feeling where the pressure is, knowing where the seam's going to be, not not running it up in there too soon. Uh, he has the ability to relax uh, with the ball in his hand, and then uh, and then it's not an explosive, but it's a very quick you know getting into the seam. 
or getting with the, uh, you know, kind of with the flow. And he's uh, one of these kids instinctive in terms of um, he does have the ability to stop and go the other way and just make a decision that, you know, uh, there's nothing there and let me see what else I can get. And, and, and sometimes that's not a good thing when, when running backs do it. He looks like one of those guys that you can, he can trust his own instincts and you can trust his instincts. And uh, I mean, the coaches are, could not be in love with somebody anymore. You know, I mean, they yeah. were, you know, they're in love with Trey Madden in terms of all his potential and what he showed in spring, uh, you know, two uh, springs ago. But uh, then you get Justin Davis on top of it. Uh, it's, it's uh, you've got to figure out how to how to make that work. And um, and the only thing that's keeping it from from really working well is the breakdown. You know, on a first down where somebody misses a block or misses an assignment. And now you got second and ten, and then that makes it a little more difficult, you know, to really uh, run the ball totally when you want to and throw it exactly when you want to. Uh, uh, if they get past that, they really get, you know, which which you hope can happen the way it did in 2011, where they were able to run their basic stuff in ways in which they didn't have to try to come up with, you know, special, you know, play that a little wrinkle off of this player or whatever. You just, you know, came up. And ran your stuff, and everybody got to the point where they knew how to execute it. I mean, a lot, you know, a couple of these guys are the same guys that were sophomores on that team, and uh, so, so I think that you know you would like to see that you know it go that direction. But uh, but running backs, uh, you know, it's amazing when you think about no game experience at all uh, with this group coming into this year and and where it is now. Certainly, and uh, injury wise, we got to talk to Lane Kiffin yesterday in the conference call. He was. His usual self, he hoped that uh, Silas Red would play. Same thing with Darius Rogers; he'd hoped he would play, but we saw Rogers after the game on crutches in a walking boot. That that doesn't seem quite as likely. So really, USC only has three guys on scholarship at wide receiver. They, like Victor Blackwell came back, and Lane kind of called him a half, I guess, because he's yeah, just coming and back and off that injury. But three so and three and a half. half wide receivers, but. Uh, it doesn't look like Silas Red or either one of those guys. I wouldn't guess plays this week against Utah State. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't think so. Uh, and Victor Blackwell's, uh, you know, return uh, whether he's a half or or, or not. And and Devon Florida catching a couple of balls. And uh, I mean, I don't think there was ever any question that these guys could, you know, could do that if they got on the field and if somebody threw it to them. I mean, I think there was always a sense of. Uh, you know, that's where, you know, having that kind of quality all the way through your recruiting, uh, you know, pays off. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough for those kids sometimes, but uh, if they can go out and they can play. Uh, so, I mean, I can't afford any more at that spot. But, uh, and I guess, you, you know, if you had to, and this is the other problem, we don't know what Randall Telford's situation was gonna, is going to be, uh, you could probably put um, Xavier Grimble or somebody, uh, you know, wide, uh, you could probably put, I mean, I asked Lane about, you know, Buck Allen, nobody catches the ball any better than he does and converts it, uh, you know, down the field afterwards. But, uh, but Lane was a little hesitant, basically saying that Buck's, you know, starting to look so good as a running back, you don't know if you want to, you know, take him out of that spot. But, but he would certainly be a possibility as a slot receiver. Uh, I mean, I, you know, if they made a mistake, the defense made a mistake and left him uncovered. Uh, that would be fun to watch uh, with his, his uh, with his speed and the way he catches it and converts. So uh, he did have some options, but uh, it's a little hold your breath time with wide receivers. 
Yeah, the uh, you asked him that question yesterday, and I kind of got the feeling that even if he was thinking about doing that, he wasn't going to tell us. <laughs> you know, like if that. <laughs> I was... hope so. I hope that was it. You know that he's uh, he'll spring it on. You know, if that's what he's thinking about, I know I'd be thinking about that. I mean, I just think I don't know that you could find a better uh, you know slot receiver than a than a Buck Allen catch the ball, you know, run past the linebacker or catch it in front of a linebacker or run over a. You know, you you get isolated with him with a you know cornerback on Buck and um, you know one on one. We already saw what that what happened the one time, um, uh, you know, where he ran over the uh, the, the kid from Hawaii. Uh, so uh, so we'll see. I, I would think uh, I, I would think you'd think about it. Yeah, uh, here's one from David. Uh, we've had a lot of positive talks, so I think David's going to throw a little bit negative in here, but. Uh, it's hard to get away from it, Dan. I know, but we're still get it. Uh, not as definitely not as many questions and negative questions that we had last week. But he said, "Great game Saturday." So it starts off positive, which is good. Cody looked like a completely different person. Do you think because of Kiffin's misunderstanding on the quality of his quarterbacks, he was making the wrong play calls or a wrong play calling plans in the first two games and not guiding the offense to win? Maybe now he will treat his players as men instead of as a child, like an overprotective. Parent, ooh, kind of harsh. Uh, that's from David. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's it's uh, you know, projecting the uh, you know maybe some uh, you know issues on on your players and all that. I think the coach has to be the enabler and uh, the guy who frees them up to you know to be themselves and make plays. And uh, that's always what you want is uh, is turn them loose. You know, they're big boys. You know, they came to USC, uh, you know, for a reason. And uh, they came to USC to compete. USC recruited them for a reason. And uh, I, I don't think they, you know, do need to, you know, be protected. And uh, I think they need to play and need to be turned loose. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the direction I'd go. Um, and we saw what happened a little bit, you know, Saturday, going in that direction. don't think they need to be protected. No, it, it didn't didn't seem like that. Even Max Wittick, you know, what he did there. I, I, Lane Kiffin mentioned something kind of funny where the first pass was incomplete from Cody Kessler and the last pass was incomplete from Cody Kessler, but the 15 in between were all completed. And, and really, he had a chance to, to hit all of them. And, oh, uh, yeah. They were, you know, those two were, you know, on the fingertips. So, uh, you know, difficult, you know, shots downfield. But, uh, yeah, I mean, going for it. That's what you want to – that's what you want to see. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I know that's. I know that there's some frustration there from fans because they're like, "Oh, I mean, why didn't you see this uh, the previous weeks?" I, I think the only thing. I mean, I don't think people should dwell on what happened against Washington State. The more USC wins, the more people will actually look at that. Like that, it'll be a head scratcher, like you said in 2008 with Florida losing to Ole Miss and Tim Tebow coming out and saying that no one's ever going to work harder and we're going to blah blah blah. And you know, they went through the whole run and. And do that, and I know it's not. Maybe it's not a national championship caliber type of team, but I think the goals are you got to try to win the Pac-12 South. And losing your your opener uh, is it is it helpful? But I mean, you still have a chance to beat two pretty good looking teams right now, Arizona State and UCLA. And if you can do that, you should be able to control the Pac-12 South. Yeah, I mean, I think the goal, and I don't know why they got away from this goal. I think the goal should have been the same goal as always with Pete Carroll: get to the Rose Bowl. And if anything better than that happens, fine. But I, I'm not sure why they took away the, you know, the thinking of, you know, we got to get to the Rose Bowl 
that just seems, you know, just crazy uh, that, that that wouldn't always be the goal. And I wish that we'd have heard more about it this year. And I, I think it's a, a couple of the missing elements of, 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 you know, when I know people say, you know, I'm not Lane Kiffin or I'm not uh, Pete Carroll and I'm Lane Kiffin and i got to be myself and all of that kind of thing. But I think two of the elements, you know, maybe you don't want to do the, the – the you know have fun walkthroughs the day before at the opponent's stadium and all that you can't pull that off the way Pete Carroll could, but uh, but I think the you know the determination to have absolute dominance at the Coliseum, and then the uh, single goal every season to end up in the Rose Bowl I think were genius moves by Pete I think they uh, you know they were there from the beginning they stayed through the entire you know run and uh, I think it's uh, it's really missing now. It would be, of all the things uh, that I, you would like to see, would be the, the return of those two uh, as kind of uh, this is who we are, this is what we expect. And uh, I think it would you know, be appropriate right now. Um, you know, we talked about the, the turnaround. It was a pretty quick change, and I think you tried to ask Lane Kiffin about this on the conference call yesterday. We really didn't get much as far as an answer goes, but it really was – I mean, can you make a team look this different in in a few days of practice? Um, it that was the, that was the question. He talked to Cody. Cody said it happened uh, Sunday when he sat down with Lane, and and you know Lane's you know saying you're the guy and let's roll and go get him. And and you talked to the defensive team, and they said you know from the first play on Monday, the offense came out and you know punches in the mouth and. Uh, and threw an 80-yard touchdown pass, and we could tell things had changed. Well, you know, so they didn't even go through the whole week of practice at all. I tried to get Lane to talk about, <laughs> talk about that kind of change and where that came from. And, he, you know, he mentioned, you know, maybe, you know, for him, a little more comfort level having, you know, the quarterback decided and, and you know, having that communication between, you know, the coach and one quarterback. And, uh, you know, having then that, that quarterback, you know, do most of everything on the, uh, you know, during the, uh, you know, during the, you know, the week. But uh, uh, as to how that turnaround happened between, you know, late Saturday night and Sunday when, when Lane met with, uh, with Cody, I'm not sure. Not, not sure, uh, you know, where that came, you know, that's kind of an, you know one of those things that happens somewhere in you know in Lane, and uh, I'm not sure if this doesn't want to be uh, taking those kinds of looks at, at himself, or he's just not gonna not gonna tell us anyway. So, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, he's not not really spilling the beans when it comes to that kind of stuff. So we'll we'll keep asking, and uh, he'll probably keep avoid the questions. One last topic for you, Dan, unless there's something else you want to bring up after this, but. Um, you know, two kind of stats that you like to look at after a game that could could be a, a factor. And when it's a, a blowout like this, it doesn't really matter as much. But um, turnovers, there weren't any turnovers in the game. Both teams fumbled the ball once but jumped on them. No, you know, no interceptions for any of the quarterbacks. And penalties where Boston College only had one penalty uh, for five yards. USC had 10 for 100. It looked kind of like we saw this team uh, maybe a couple years ago or so. I think, that, you know, Lane Kiffin did a good job of trying to curve those penalties. Um, but uh, what did you think about the turnover and uh, penalty situation in the game? 
Yeah, I mean, I thought you know the, the turnover situation is what we had been seeing that they had been careful with the, you know with the football and you know hadn't um, you know I think that's uh, pretty characteristic of you know Cody. I, I think the more cautious they were earlier, you know, the more I thought turnover prone they were. Uh, I think the more they just you know run their game and play their game, uh, you know, there's less chance of that, um, uh, especially spreading the ball around. Uh, as Lane said, they caught the ball. That was that was one difference. Uh, uh, there may be a reason, you know, the way they prepared, everybody was ready. Um, you know, if you found guys that were open as opposed to trying to force the ball into guys that aren't open. Um, the, I guess the second thing with the, with the penalties, uh, you know, obviously guys out of play still trying to make a play. You can look at that, you know, the first time that happens and say it was guys just trying too hard, trying to, you know, they got to know when they're in the play, when they're not in the play. They got to use their head. They got to be smarter. Uh, hopefully, this is that kind of a learning lesson. Uh, I thought um, they they faced a quarterback who was really uh, a veteran quarterback, Southern California kid, Chase Reddick, who really wasn't going to let them sack him. He was going to do whatever it took to get rid of that ball wherever he had to throw it. So, uh, you know, the, the couple of roughing the passers. Uh, I mean, I think one, I think Devon, uh, at first we thought it was on Morgan, but then it was on Devon, and I think Devon didn't even know he delivered the ball already uh, coming from behind. Uh, so, uh, you know, I thought, uh, I thought I think we can analyze the penalties after another game or two and see if it was a, you know, one-of-a-kind aberration or if it's a, uh, you know, if it's a, a, you know, a troubling trend uh, like last year when they got to the, last place in the country and and penalties uh and then they then they righted themselves to a, uh, you know a great degree i guess the last four games but uh i think we gotta we gotta see where that uh where that goes uh give them one week and playing hard and playing fast and trying too hard uh but uh gotta play smarter than that and that, that wasn't smart and it was too many breakdowns of all kinds all you know, between false starts, illegal substitutions, a couple of holdings, um, and a couple of late hits on the quarterback, uh, just can't have that. We'll see. I, I, the other question I got is we haven't had the officials at practice. And, uh, you know, last year it was hard because that early morning practice, the officials weren't available. Uh, this year with the, uh, you know, more traditional afternoon practices, I, I'll be interested to see if uh, starting this week we see, uh, we see the officials come back. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. And I, you know, I, I would like to chart this out. Um, it seems like it's working out to the point where when USC committed more penalties, they were winning games. <laughs> when they committed less, they were losing games. I mean, they, towards the end of last season. I don't know. Is, that, is there any truth to that, Dan? Well, that's true. I, I mean, they, they solved the penalty and they, they, in that, you know, five out of six losing streak. So, yeah, that, that wasn't uh, – they were still – they were six and one as they were rolling into, you know, last place in the nation, penalty-wise. So, um, uh, yeah, and, and I, <laughs> I don't know that one played off the other, that one, you know, caused the other, but uh, we'll have to have to chart that one. Yeah, well, I mean, even this year, if you, you argue how they looked the best, which game did this team look the best, you'd say Boston College, and that was their worst penalty game. Some of the ones on defense, I mean, I – I talked to some of the defensive linemen after the game, and they said, you know, it's not, it's not about penalties. George Uko actually opened up a little bit and was like, he's like, it's okay, you know, we're going, we're going to be an aggressive defense, and if you get a penalty, 
you know, so be it. But you're you're going to try to be aggressive. That's I think that's the trump card there. You want to be aggressive. You don't want to take that aggression away if a penalty happens. You can't get too crazy. But all the other, like I talked to uh, everyone else, and even you know, um, Ed Orgeron too. They were like, no penalties. You can't get those penalties. But to me. They played so well on defense, they caused such disruption that if that happens every once in a while, you give the other team a first down, it seems like that's okay because they were, I mean, it didn't, it didn't matter. None of those penalties led to a, a score anyway. They were able to just shut them down right. afterwards. Well, and the other, I thought that the good sign was it didn't slow them down. I mean, I, they didn't, you know, they didn't back off. They did not come as hard at the quarterback uh, after the penalties uh, as they had before. They didn't slow down a bit. Uh, so that was, I think that was a real, that's a good development. Yeah, certainly. All right, cool. Well, Dan, we appreciate it. It was a lot of fun uh, being up in the press box with you. We'll do the same thing again this week. Utah State, 1230 uh, games. I, I, did you like these? I liked the early afternoon game. I know this was. I cool didn't mind game. that at all, actually, because the, uh, you know, the weather broke a little bit and it wasn't as hot as it had been. And if it had, you know, if it had stayed, you know, as hot as it had been, uh, I think that would have made it a, a little tough, and I guess the weather's supposed to, you know, really break uh, this week. So maybe we'll be lucky again. All right. Well, thanks again. But Dan. That wasn't and, bad. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. And uh, everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed. If you haven't seen it yet, go back to peristylepodcast.com. We did our armchair quarterback uh, podcast with uh, former USC quarterback Sean Salisbury and Shane Foley. We got to get their thoughts on on the offense there. So check that out. A new feature on. Uh, on the Peristyle Podcast. So check it out more on uscfootball.com and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music